Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. This program is brought to you by Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about our reach around the world, go to cpeonline.org. To learn about our fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. This is our last message on the test of true salvation. In that test, we examine our lives to see if God has awakened us to our desperate need of salvation, if God has brought us into repentance, and if God has granted us saving faith. Has God also demonstrated a conversion where we've turned from sin and self and the world to follow Jesus Christ? Is there the evidence that we've been born again in our character and in emerging attributes within us that only God could put there? And finally, do we have the witness of the Holy Spirit? It's a witness the Spirit gives to a person who is fighting to live a God-honoring life and to destroy sin in themselves. It's in the midst of this battle that the Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are born of God. It's as if Paul is saying, your spirit says that you are God's child, and God's spirit shouts out right next to you that you are God's child. The Spirit witnesses with our spirit. In this case, it's not to our spirit. They're both speaking the same thing, that we're born of God. By the way, what is your spirit? What is your spirit? It's the thing that tells you that you are you. It's that part of you that is self-aware. When your body goes into the grave, your spirit will still go on giving you self-awareness. The Bible says to be absent from the body for the Christian is to be present with the Lord. I'll be present there in my spirit. We'll continue to shout out my name and I'll know who I am and I'll have an identity. And The spirit is that which in you that knows what is true of yourself. How many people here are married? Raise your hand if you're married right now. Let me see. Okay, I see all those hands. I always wanted to see lots of hands when I gave them. Well, but I noticed something. Not one of you who raised your hands had to check your hand to see if you had a wedding ring on. Right? You said, well, let me see. Let me see. Well, am I married or not? Let me check and see. You didn't have to kind of go through a recall of the memory of your life and try to remember, now, what was it? Now, what, what, oh, yeah, there was a wedding day that took place. And you remember your vows and you knew you were married. You didn't have to somehow murkily go back and go through a series of objective facts where you remember that you woke up this morning with uh, some what familiar woman lying next to you in the bed and it just so happens that she's sitting right next to you. And when I asked that question, she raised her hand too. You didn't turn to her and say, hey, who are you married to? You know these things, right? You know them. You know them because your spirit tells you they're true. The spirit bears a witness to these things. It tells you those things that are true of yourself. It's a part of your self-awareness. It is this spirit of self-awareness that is you that God sends his spirit to. And the Holy Spirit confirms what our spirits also confirm, that we are the children of God. Interestingly, here in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, it says, here it says, we are found crying out, Abba, Father, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. Do you see that in Romans eight fifteen, We cry out, Abba, Father. Go to Galatians and look at this. In Romans eight fifteen, it says, we cry out, Abba, Father. That's our spirits crying out, Abba, Father. Galatians, the other place where the Christian or believer is associated with this cry of Abba, Father. We also see it when the Lord Jesus cried out, Abba, Father, in the garden when he was being tried and tested. 
before he went to the cross. Here we see that it's not our spirits crying out, Abba, Father. In Galatians, here we see that it's the Holy Spirit that cries out these words in us. And because you are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You see that? Both your spirit and the Holy Spirit give witness to your salvation. Or as it says here in Romans 8.16, the Spirit witnessing with our spirits. Both are giving witness to our sonship and our salvation. Now you may recall the day of your awakening. You may recall the gift of repentance that God gave you. The day in which He granted you faith. The day in which you turned to Christ. You may see the evidence of regeneration springing up in your life, producing the fruit of a changed life. In fact, that is exactly why you're in this battle against flesh. You've been regenerated and born again, and now you're in a battle. And your spirit knows that you are God's child, but sometimes the enemy gets you down, and he surrounds you with accusations in the midst of your struggle, and you falter, and you stumble. And so then, at that very moment, the spirit comes to aid and lend his voice to the witness of your own voice. Now, this is just what I want you to see here. This witness of the Spirit with our spirit comes in the midst of this fresh battle with the flesh that we're introduced to because we've been born again. The unsaved person, as I said before, doesn't know this battle with the flesh. They might want to tame flesh or control flesh, but they certainly don't want to put it to death. Only the regenerate person finds that they're at odds with their fleshly desires, really at odds, truly at odds. This battle can be fierce. And at times in this battle, we can come to points of real desperation. A desperation that only a born-again person can feel. We want nothing to do with that old way and that old flesh. And so in the midst of that battle, we cry out for God's help. Cry out is the right word here. Cry out, it says, Abba, Father. You know, when you read this, cry out, Abba, Father, what happens is we kind of see that word, Daddy, Father, and we have in our image the picture of that whispered, loving prayer that we make on our pillow. Oh, Daddy, Father. And it's gentle, and it's soothing to us, and it's nice, and well, it's well and good, but actually, that is not what is taking place in this instance. This is not the child of God laying his head upon a pillow, getting ready to repose in peace, crying out, Oh, Daddy, Father. No, this is crying out, Abba, Father. The word there, cry out, in the Greek is quite an alarming word. It's an expression of a tense emotion coming to the fore. Ferguson Sinclair, in his study of this text, offers for us this consideration that throughout the New Testament, this screaming, this crying out is always an expression, a shout of intense emotion. It is this word that's used of the Gerasene demoniac when he cries out from the tombs in Mark 5.5. 5. It's this word that's used of the shrieks of the spirit as he went out from the possessed epileptic boy in Mark chapter 9, verse 26. It's this word that is expressive of the cries of blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10 when he was crying out and the crowd was trying to silence him. Son of David, have mercy on me! It's this word that was used of Jesus Christ when he was suffering on the cross in Matthew 27. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
It's crying out. It's a word not proclaimed in a moment of tranquility, but in the midst of a crisis. This is a battle. We are in a battle against our flesh, in the midst of a warfare. And in this battle, exhausted and yet resolved not to let the flesh win, we cry out. In our darkest battles, the Spirit rushes in to confirm us in our confidence that we are the sons of God. And as we fight to be holy and to remain unstained from the sin of the flesh, as we buckle under the brokenness of this world, bruised and battered, but still longing to please God, we say, Daddy, help me! And right there, the weak child, the most oppressed believer, is given the witness of the Spirit, coming alongside our witness that we are the children of God. That's glory. That's wonderful. That's promise. What is the experience that becomes ours when the Spirit grants us this witness, even in the midst of the cry of the battle? Well, I think Romans chapter 15, verse 13 gives us a hint. There it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There you have joy and peace and hope in the midst of the battle. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. If you've just got to Romans chapter 15, I'm sorry, flip back to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Here you have this expressed again. But now you see the root of the sensation that flows to the man when the witness of the Spirit is given. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. There's peace. We just read about that in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. With God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice, there's joy, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory, there's that same joy, glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope, there's hope. And now hope does not disappoint because the one thing it's founded upon is this, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here is the base of this assurance. God floods us with His love. God loves me in the midst of this battle against the flesh. And so I have peace and I have joy and I have hope because I am filled with God's love for me as His Son in the midst of the battle. And folks, that's an experience. That's a subjective expression of the reality of ours through Jesus Christ. There's one last thing that I've written here, and I'll read it to you. Our church is an evangelical church. We can historically trace the roots of evangelism back to the founding assurance sought in historical Protestantism. You'll remember, Luther had become a monk attempting to find in contemplation and in careful religious life some assurance of escaping the righteous judgment of God. And the more he spent in contemplation, the more he spent in religious services, the more insecure he came in sensing any hope of salvation. In fact, he tells us that knowing from the Bible the righteousness of God, that he learned to hate the very notion of the righteousness of God. For he felt that it stood as a sentence against him and all others. But then over a period of time, while contemplating in Romans 1, Verse 17, 
where it says of the gospel of Christ, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Luther saw here a work of God that justifies all who believe in his provision of righteousness. Jesus Christ and his work for our sins objectively laid up for us in heaven. And seeing this, Luther tells us, quote, I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered into paradise itself. Luther tells us, that the term and fear that he had learned to hate, the righteousness of God, now he said, I extolled as my sweetest word with a love as great as the hatred with which I had hated the word, the righteousness of God. For in Christ that righteousness was his. And in that righteousness, he was ready to stand before a righteous and holy God. That's assurance. That's assurance. This is actually where the evangelical doctrine must always come before people. It must come to those needing the assurance of salvation, needing to be made fit to stand before a righteous and holy God in order to claim it yourself. You must be sure. You are resting in the finished work of Christ alone, the place where true assurance rises. Let's bow our heads and pray. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Bread of Life ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. There you can also contact us with requests for this or other messages. Please join us in our next broadcast. Until then, may God bless you.